This is Jim Laws along with Nat Ayers, and we're coming to you today over the Gospel is for All Internet Radio broadcast. Very happy to be with you once again as we study from the pages of the Bible, and I'm very grateful for your presence with us. As you're listening to our Internet Radio program, we're very happy that uh, you have come to be with us and encourage you to worship with us. If you're ever in the Tyler area, we're worshiping together at the Broadway Church of Christ, and you'll always find a very warm and friendly invitation to come and be with us, to worship with us at every opportunity. On Sunday mornings, we have Bible classes at 9, and then our worship begins at 10, and then on Sunday night, 6 o'clock, and then on Wednesday evening, Bible study at 7 o'clock. You're always encouraged to come and be with us. We're always happy to have you on our internet radio program. We look at Bible passages and we look at topics that are related to our day and time. And we began last week with a subject that I took as a phrase from that uh, verse, Mark chapter 4, 35 through 39. They took him even as he was. Now, taken by itself, I don't know that the phrase has much meaning, but when you put it in the context of Jesus and that miracle of calming the storm, then it does have a great deal of meaning. And then we've made proper application about that phrase, they took him even as he was, to our present day. So I'd like to pick up where we left off and continue our study of this matter We're looking in our study today at Mark chapter 4. It begins at verse 35. We're going to ask Nat to read that. And um, you can go ahead and read, if you like, all the way through verse 41, which it looks like that would end the thought there. And then we'll pay particular attention to our study phrase found in verse 36. All right. Thank you, Jim. Uh, It's good to be with you. It's good to be with our listeners. And uh, we do encourage you to have an open Bible and as we study this great topic of taking Jesus just as he is, or just as he was. Um, Verse 35 of Mark 4. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they uh, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already uh, filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to them, or said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were fear, fear, uh, filled with fear, great fear, and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, this is a, a, a very well known. Uh, most people who study the Bible at all know um, this passage or are aware of this passage, but sometimes overlook this one little statement here that they took him in the boat just as he was, verse 36. And. You know, that's interesting. That's an inter- interesting phraseology. You know, it asks the question in your mind, why is it there? What does it mean that the disciples took him in just as he was? Jim, what does this mean? What What do you think it means? Uh, why is it there? What can we gain from this little phrase, just as he was? Well, as you read, Nat, in verses 35 through 41, 
it is a, a miracle which Jesus performed in the life of the apostles, and it must have been an amazing thing. Yes. Just the miracle itself, to read about it. And I believe it took place just like the Bible says it took place, that there was a great storm that came upon the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus was able by the power of God to say, Peace be still, and there was a great calm. Yes. And that it happened just at the, just that way. Verse 40, And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And there may be uh, an important point made there in that uh, faith would cast out the fear and that it may be that the disciples lacked the kind of faith that they should have had. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so afraid. Right. And they should have known that the winds and the waves were not going to destroy the Son of God. Yes. Uh, that he had control of those particular matters. So I think it is important to look at the uh, context, as you suggested in this matter. And we took this phrase, uh, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. He was teaching the disciples. He was teaching the crowd. You notice verse 34, he did not speak with them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples He explained everything. He was explaining these particular matters. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he'd been there teaching all that period of time. They took him with them in the boat just as he was. And so they went immediately from that incident of teaching and preaching to the multitudes to go to the other side on the Sea of Galilee And then, of course, the story about the storm coming across the sea and them being filled with fear for lack of faith. What we did was we took that phrase, they took him as he was, and applied that to ourselves. And we see in our day and time, we have to do that. Now, they, in a physical sense, took Jesus just as he was. In a spiritual sense, we have to take Jesus just as he is. Right. And um, there's such an attempt today, Nat, to try to change Jesus. Yes. And we looked at that last time. We were looking at ways in which people try to change him. But, you know, there are Bible passages like um, Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And you may want to read Hebrews 5, 8 and 9, uh, how perfect Christ is and, and that he's not going to be changed. He is perfect. He learned perfection. And, and was perfect. Uh, anybody that tries to modify him and fashion him after their own way is going to mar that perfection. You can't take perfection and make it better. And anybody who tries to do that simply is going to ruin it. You can't dictate terms to Christ. We must take him even as he is. Um, we cannot try to make him the kind of Savior we want him to be. We cannot modify him, glamorize him, streamline him, change his thinking. We've got to take him as he is. So that's the thought that we've been studying. We've been studying about the idea of taking Jesus just as he is. Now, one area that I think we ought to consider as we continue the thought of taking Jesus as he is is the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is God in the flesh and that Jesus is uh, part of the Godhead that we sometimes say. He has Godhood about him. Uh, There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's explore that idea. You know, there's some people who don't want to accept that idea. They say there's Jesus only. There is no God. There's no Holy Spirit that somehow Jesus is God the Father. Uh, Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's an unusual type of doctrine, but it is out there. And and it may be that we're studying with someone today over the Internet radio program that actually 
believes the idea, the false notion that there's only one in the Godhead. But we have to take Jesus even as he is. That's right. So I'd like to explore that. Nat, if you have Colossians 2 and verse 9, you might get us started on this particular subject today. The book of Colossians is one of Paul's prison epistles. It is a uh, first imprisonment epistle. We say that because there um, uh, were two prison uh, Roman imprisonments for the Apostle Paul, and this was written during the first one. And he would write Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and the book of Philemon uh, at the same time. And I was thinking about Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, as Paul was addressing this matter of the deity of Christ, the Godhood of Christ, uh, and him being God here on earth. So if you have that, Nat, Colossians 2, verse 9, you want to read 8 also or whatever verses there. You might even want to start with verse 6 there. would help us get a good contextual look right. of what the apostle is saying. Sure. Let's, let's read uh, starting with verse 6 of Colossians 2. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all uh, rule and authority. So we see here that that uh, Christ is in him the whole fullness of, of deity dwells now uh it dwells within him but we're talking about the whole the the whole of deity there that there's he is a part of a whole uh but we see here also that in him in verse 10 that all there lies all rule and authority so that christ has authority given to him uh, by uh, the father we see this also in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and twenty, that that Christ has authority, just as God uh, has authority. He shares that authority. Uh, he is part of the whole. In verse nine, uh, deity dwells within him in in the body, and so we see that Christ uh, surely is part of the the Godhead. And I think that's the point that he's making in Colossians two, verse nine. That's read for us starting back there at verse 6, and he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, they were obedient to the word of God. They had received him. And he encourages them to live according to his teaching. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he warns them about uh, pagan philosophies and false views, and then he says in verse 9, as you mentioned, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He has all God in him. He is full, fully God. Yeah. He is fully human. And now this does not mean that he's God the Father. Right. As you were pointing out, 
This does mean, though, that he's fully fully God. He yes. has all the qualities that God would have, but yet he is distinct from the Father. Uh, if you don't mind, I think you alluded to one. Let's make reference to Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20, which might be a good passage there for us to read, which surely shows the distinction that is to be made. There is God yeah. the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, and sometimes... Uh, people don't want to take Jesus as he is. They want to make him Jesus only. And that is not, not what the Bible is really teaching here, is it? And if you have that, Nat, it's Matthew 28, and I think that passage starts at about verse 16. Where yes. Jesus talks about uh, these matters to the apostles subsequent to his resurrection. And let's read this passage and see what we learn. Okay. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 16, also a very well-known passage. If it isn't, it should be too. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's an important part there. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Also another important part. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we see here that we have the disciples, the 11 disciples. So there are 11 that are with him. They worshiped him, but here in 17 it said some doubted. And I find that interesting that even... At this point in Jesus' ministry, at this point after the resurrection, there's some doubt. But he tries to shore up this doubt and says, listen, the authority that God has has been given to me. Now, that given means it came from someplace else, right, Jim? Right, that's right. So that given means that it was shared, it was given to him by the Father. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each giving giving them uh, the observance of all, of all three parts of the, the Godhead there, but teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Again, we see that authority coming out, that he's been given authority. He's able to command. Uh, and so Christ is the authoritative body for the word. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We see in this passage that, that Christ reassures the disciples that that what he has is, first of all, has been given to him by God and that he shares the authority of God. He has the same power, the same abilities he shares within that power. But it also alludes here or, or, or spells out here that the Holy Spirit is involved as well. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for that analysis of that passage, Nat. We were looking at Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20, and we were looking at the fact of the deity of Christ. We saw that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, and Nat is discussing with us uh, today and helping us understand that this authority, all authority has been given, and I think that's the point that you were making. Let's turn while we think about this matter to Matthew chapter 3 and the baptism of Christ. And, you know, there's an interesting situation that takes place. The point that we're making is this. We have to take Christ even as he is. We cannot make him into our own concept and our own view. And there are many who want to say that all there is is Christ. 
There is no God the Father. That's simply Christ or Jesus. There is God, not God the Holy Spirit. That is just simply Jesus. It is a Jesus-only type of doctrine. But we can't take and modify Jesus and make him into our view. That's a modern concept that has been taught. The biblical view is that there is a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, you see that incident here, and I'm going to have Nat read for us Matthew chapter 3, and it's about verse 13. And it goes through verse 17, and you'll recognize this incident, that it is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus uh, comes to John. John's baptizing in the Jordan River. But an incident, a serious incident happens. It's a, an unusual thing that takes place. And, and we're going to see not only is there the Son, but there's also the Father and also the Holy Spirit involved in this scene. So before I say much more about it, let's go ahead and read what the Bible has to say. And Nat, if you would, let's look at Matthew 3. We're looking at about verse 13 through 17. All right, um, Jim, I, I might read eleven, just verse eleven, to, before I come to thirteen as well. I think this this passage really illustrates uh, our Certainly. point or your Certainly. point yeah. that we've got to take Jesus as He is and not how maybe we perceive Him to be or what we think He ought to be. But in verse eleven, it really picks up. It says, "I baptize you with water for repentance, but He who is coming after me is mightier than I." whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Now, that little part right there is what I'm going to talk about, uh, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And then you see in verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And we see the reason why John would have said that back up in 11. He felt that he wasn't worthy uh, to uh, carry his sandals, let alone be baptized. But did that change the matter of what Christ wanted? No. We see John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to feel, fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased and we see that pastor will in john's mind he saw it differently than what christ would have seen it perhaps he he wanted something different he thought well it ought to be the other way around i ought to be baptized by you but christ had another message Christ had another way. His way was let us, let uh, let us fulfill our righteousness. He had a different message or different uh, mindset. But we see here that that John had a good heart and a good mind to change and be able to see that this is Christ. We need to be doing it His way, how He asks us to do it, not the way we think we ought to be doing it. That is so true, Nat, and. Uh, thank you for going back up there in verse 11, because I do, I do think this whole context kind of ties in together yes. as the apostles are there, um, and and they're later to become apostles. They're not selected at this point. Right. They will become the selected individuals of Christ. And and uh, he says, uh, John says in, in the verse, verse 11, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And yep. so... He's telling them you you are apostles yep. one day become apostles and be baptized by the Holy Spirit and we saw that take place in the book of Acts. 
But as we look at the next paragraph about verse 13 through 17, you have all three represented there. You have Jesus in the water, ready to be baptized uh, by John. But then you have the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And then you have the voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So really, you have God the Father who is in heaven speaking. The Holy Spirit descending from heaven and lighting upon Christ. And the Christ, the Son of God, in the water being baptized that is immersed by John the Baptist. So you have all three members of the Godhead here at the same time represented distinctively. God the Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit descending as of a dove. It doesn't say he was a dove, but it says it uh, was descending like a dove in verse 16. And then Jesus in the water. There's no yeah. way that you can look at this passage and say, you know, there's only one in the Godhead. Right. Uh, you've got to see the distinction between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you've got to understand that the voice of God came where? From heaven. But the Son of God's not in heaven. Uh, The Son of God's in the water on earth. And you've got to see the Spirit of God. Well, that Spirit of God's the Holy Spirit. And it's descending like a dove. And the Holy Spirit's not in heaven. It's not on earth. It is descending from heaven to the Son of God. So you've got to be able to see, just as Matthew wrote about Matthew chapter 28, that there is God the Father, there is God the Son, there is God the Spirit, and that these three are one in purpose. They are not one individual, but they are uh, each one a part of the, each one has Godhood about them. All that makes for God they have. And that's the point of Colossians 2 verse 9, and that there are three. Now, not three gods. Don't make that mistake. Uh, I don't want to convey the idea to anyone that there are three gods here that we're worshiping. That's polytheism. Polytheism is the idea that there's more than one God. There's only one God. But this one God is made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I think this is an interesting incident in which all three are portrayed at the same time at different places, uh, showing the distinction between the two. Uh, There's another interesting passage, Nat, as I think about this, and that's over in the book of Ephesians, and I think we should turn to that. It's Ephesians chapter 4, and I think you'll recognize the verse when we get over there. And the Apostle Paul's talking about seven ones in that uh, particular passage, and he references these particular matters in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll let you uh, read that for us. And it comes up in the earlier part, and he's really stressing the importance of unity and how that we should um, uh, be unified together. And and this, I think, um, really begins at about verse 3 there uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. Why don't you go ahead and read for us, and you could start with verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, read on down through verse 7, and um, let's get the gist of that passage, keeping in mind that once again, reference is being made to the three in the Godhead. All right, uh, Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you're called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we see there all three represented in this unity that Paul is speaking about in Ephesians. He he desires the church to be unified just as God is unified with all three aspects. And that's the context of the passage, to be yeah. unified. But notice what he's saying there. Let's add this up. Yeah. Now, you're good at math, Nat. Let's see you add this up. You have one Lord... And you have one spirit. So we're going to add one Lord and one spirit and one God. And then draw a line under that. How many is that going to make for you? It makes three. That's going to make three. You've got one Lord referenced here. There is one uh, body, which is the church, we learn in another passage. And one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit there. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord. Well, who is that? That's Jesus Christ yeah. is referring to there. One faith, one baptism, one God. Well, who is he referring to there? Yeah. Verse 6. He's referring Father. to God the Father. So you got God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. There are three in the Godhead. Now, the reason we're paying special note of this matter is there are some today who want to deny that idea. There are some today who only want to say that there's one in the Godhead. That false notion is an attempt to try to modify Christ. We must take him even as he is. We cannot force our view on him. We either accept Jesus as he is or we do not accept him at all. Therefore, it is Christ with the Godhead. It is not just Christ as the only one in the Godhead, but it is Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Though there are three in number, they are three in number. I want to emphasize that they are one in purpose. They work together. The Spirit proceeded from the Father and testified of Christ, John fifteen twenty six. When one is baptized, one must be baptized in the name of, and this is the passage you read now a moment ago, the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28 and verse 19. Therefore, it is Christ with the Godhead or we do not accept him at all. Jim, it's been a good time to be with you. Uh, Our time is just about up, and we appreciate our listeners. uh, As we discussed today, they took Jesus as he was.